Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go with me to John, the 11th chapter. Amen. John, the 11th chapter, and we're going to begin reading at verse number one. Amen. I I make no apologies uh, uh, for uh, anything that we do here uh, because I try my best to be led by the spirit of God. And uh, so typically my, my, my normal style of preaching is uh, uh, to take a peric- uh, particular uh, pericope or passage of scripture and uh, to just read a couple of verses of that passage and then uh, kind of just give you the context uh, of, of the scripture in itself. Uh, but the story in John 11 is so beautiful. Um, and it's about 45 verses long. I'm going to read uh, the entire story. Um, and for those of you who don't regularly read your Bible, uh, this will be good for you. Amen. This will be your, this will be your dose of devotion uh, that you didn't get this week. Because uh, when that Bible app notification went off, you just swiped it to the left. And so um, I'm going to read uh, John chapter 11. And I'm going to begin reading at verse uh, number one. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we brought one to you. It's on the screen. Uh, Hear the word of the Lord. It says, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was sick. And so the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, He whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Mary and her sister, Martha and Lazarus or Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that she that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you were going there again. And Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said. And after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. And the disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, then perhaps he will recover. And now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sake that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore, Thomas, called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also 
so that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. And Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ the son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. And the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But then some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man also from dying? And Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was laying against it. And Jesus said to them, remove the stone." And Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by now there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings. And his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what had been done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Amen. Verse 43 says, and when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, 
Lazarus come for. Amen. I want to preach for a little while using as a subject, it will come forth. Amen. It will come forth. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. It will come forth. One of the most difficult things in life for us to deal with is death. It is, in fact, a natural occurrence of life. Anything that is born has to, at some point, eventually end its life cycle. But there is something about death that just does not compute. And I believe this theologically to be because theologically we understand that God designed us to live forever. God designed us in Eden, in the garden, in Genesis when he made man. It was man's original purpose to live forever in blissful union in worship with God. And death then is the result of the Adamic fall, sin then entering into the bloodline when he disobeyed God and ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So although death is now natural because of Adam in the supernatural, in the theological, we can't compute it because there is something in us that is eternal. There is something in us that feels like we should not have to deal with death. And whether it be a dead person or a dead situation, death is hard to deal with. Come on, somebody. It's hard for us to deal with the reality of death. It's hard for us to compute when something is over that you thought would exist forever. Has anyone ever had to deal with death? Maybe not the death of a loved one. Maybe not the death of a, of a, of a relative. Maybe it was the death of a job situation or the death of a relationship or the death of a partnership. It was something, a situation, the death of your credit, the death of your educational pursuits the death of your marriage you had to deal with death and is there anybody here who can admit that you're spiritual you love God you're a worshiper you're a praiser but there were some things in your life that you felt like ended and are ending prematurely as a matter of fact some of us have not only dealt with death in the past but some of us right now are dealing with situations that are in uh, uh, met, uh, are in metaphoric uh, hospice and are dying right now. Your situation is on life support. You got a situation right now that you're trying to nurse back to health, a relationship uh, that you're trying to nurse back to health, a friendship, uh, a loved one that you're trying to nurse back to health. And all the while, you know that this situation is not going to last. And what do you do when something is dying on you, when you've given the best of your life to it when you've given your energy your time your talent and your treasure and it looks like the thing that you've invested yourself in is dying I'm not talking to pretend people who try to fake like everything in their life is gone right but what do you do when that last good thing that you set your hopes on when that last bright spot in your life looks like it's turning to darkness what do you do when it looks like God the one thing that you told God if I lose this I'll lose my mind is now on life support in your life
life? What do you do when that thing is dying? And I, I don't know who I'm preaching to. I don't know who I'm talking to in the building, but there's somebody in here who's had to deal with uh, the reality of death, that there are situations, there are circumstances, there are people, there are relationships that will die on you and will leave you feeling as if all is lost. What do you do when you got faith but you're hopeless at the same time? What do you do when you believe in God and you trust in his word but the circumstances of life have beat you down so badly that you can't see your way out of the problem that you're in? I know that the worship leader told you to push through and that Pastor Josh told you to praise your way through it and I, I know that you know that you're supposed to give hallelujahs in a low place but what happens when you're so low that your hallelujah won't come out that you gotta thank you Jesus you know you got stuff to be grateful for but it looks like on the scales of your life that the good that the bad in your life outweighs the good in your life what do you do when you feel like you're so low that you can't recover God help me and I don't know who I'm preaching to but you got to understand that as you go through this thing called life there will be situations and circumstances that will die on you being a believer does not guarantee that everything in your life will always be good it does not guarantee that you'll never have to endure hard times trusting in God does not mean that you will never take an L in life trusting in God sometimes means that the devil will attack you and kill everything in around you and try to take your joy from you and you'll deal with depression and anxiety and guilt and and problems and pain and hell and high water but the good news of the believer is that even though sometimes being a believer means that you will be attacked by Satan and that sometimes it means that in the midst of the attack the casualties of the attack will be your circumstances and your situations and your relationships dying on you the beauty of your life as a believer is that you serve a God that has power over death and that death is not an obstacle to the God that you serve God help me I thought somebody would have shouted over that it does not matter how dead your situation is whether you are dead in sin dead in situation or dead in your circumstance God has the power to bring it back to life and the beauty of the life of the believer is that no matter how dead your stuff is when God gets involved and he speaks to it it will come forth God help me I don't know who I'm preaching to but somebody needs to understand that when God steps in when he gets involved that it will come forth and never more was that more beautifully painted for us than in this particular passage of scripture because the Bible tells us that Jesus has just got done working miracles in Judea and because he was working miracles in Judea and challenging the religious system in Judea that the religious people ran him out of town and so he was run out of town because he was a miracle working chain breaking savior and people who are in religion don't like when chains are broken because the gospel thrives when people are made free religion thrives when people are put in chains and so religious people will never want you to be truly restored redeemed and set free and the bible says that jesus is out of town and he's hiding out there waiting for the heat to die down on his ministry so that he can continue his assignment and the bible says that while he's taking a small vacation waiting on his critics to die down he gets a message 
from Mary and Martha that his best friend, Lazarus, is sick unto death. God, help me. They say it like this. This is what blows my mind, Pam. They tell him like this. They say, uh, Master, the one whom you love is sick. God, help me. Oh, Lord, he's not just talking about anybody. He's not just talking about the run-of-the-mill uh, church member that come every now and then when they feel like it. Uh, they're talking about somebody who is in Jesus' inner circle. God, help me. He says, God, master the one whom you love is sick but Jesus says something uh, that blows my mind or rather John says something in his narrative of the story that blows my mind this is not an assumption of love but John as Jesus cousin and one of the writers of the gospels decides to let us know the depth of the relationship that Lazarus Martha and Mary have with Jesus Six says so he stayed there Two more days. Oh, okay, let, let me read this for you. Because the text, if you read it, verses 5 and 6 together, it doesn't make sense. It, it blows my mind. I'm trying to figure it out. As I'm studying this passage this week, I'm like, Jesus, uh, uh, I, I understand the harmony of the Gospels. and I understand the inerrancy of Scripture. I understand that your word is without error. Uh, that it was spoken from your mouth to the writer's ears and it is without error. It's to be trusted. It's reliable. But there's an issue in my understanding because grammatically my mother uh, studied English in college and so she was a stickler for grammar. And so some of this sentence don't make sense. Verse 5 says, look, I'm going to read it. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But the first word of verse six messes me up because it says, so when? Instead of, but when? It looks like a but should go there. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So I'm thinking, but when he heard that he was sick, he stayed there two days longer in the place that he was. That makes more grammatical sense to me. Do you hear what I'm saying? It would make more sense because but says uh, instead of. But so says because of. Uh, he says Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. And so the word so gives me the ability to insert. And because of this, because he loved them, when he heard that, she was, that he was sick, he stayed there two days longer. Now, how do you handle divine delays? How, how do you handle it when you have to bow to the sovereignty of God and recognize that just because a situation is an emergency to you, that does not constitute an emergency to the master. Just because your bill collector said, I need it by the first. Just because you said, I'm going to be done with school by the time I'm 30. Just because you said, I'm going to be married by the time I'm 31. 
and I'm going to have this kind of credit score and I'm going to have this kind of house. How many of you understand that your timeline does not constitute an emergency to the master? And the Bible says that because he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, he stayed there two more days. Why does he do it? Because he's trying to teach them that he is not subject to their human timetable. Let me prove it to you by way of the text. When Jesus got the word, verse 4 says, he said to his disciples, that this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. God, help me. God lets them wait because he wants to get more glory. God, help me. Oh, God. God is letting the deck be stepped against himself. So that when he finally makes a way, God help me, oh Lord, uh, he'll be able to get some glory out of it. I, 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 knew, I knew this would be a difficult concept for most of us to understand because some of us feel like if God brought us out right away, we'd give him all the praise and honor and glory that he's due. But God says, no, you don't understand my strength yet. And so you can understand my strength. I got to let the situation get so heavy on you that you understand that nobody can bring you out of it but me. Let me help you. Uh, I go to a gym and every year the gym that I go to has a competition called the bench off it is a bench press competition I don't participate in it but I go there and I watched it last year and last year when I was watching it uh, there was a man there uh, that I guess was a nationally known power lifter and when he was doing the bench off uh, he wanted to beat the competition and so what he did was uh, he was lifting the same weight as everybody else at first he was lifting the same weight as everybody else but he got he got up one time and told the judge he said look I'm tired I want to go ahead and end this he said put some more weight on so they added another plate on each side then he said put some more weight on so they added another plate to each side everybody thought he was done everybody was like okay he's definitely going to get it right now he's going to win because he's lifting much more than everybody else he said no put another plate on then he puts another plate on until he gets to 485 pounds on the bar he's lifting 485 85 pounds so I'm watching now because I've never seen anybody do this much I said if he does it he only gonna do it one time he's gonna do it one time and he's gonna be finished and much to my surprise the power lifter God help me took the weight off of the bar he lifted it not once not twice not three times not four times but he lifted it five times God help me so you know I'm a preacher I'm always looking for material in everyday life because I feel like those are the best sermons illustrations so when he gets done I walk over to him I ask him a question I say sir uh, nobody even came close to you the closest lifter to you was 150 pounds off I said so why didn't you just best him by a little bit he said I added more weight come here 
and let me preach to you so that they could see how much stronger than them I really am. If I had just put a little bit more weight on it, he would have thought he could catch me. But I put more weight on it than anybody could lift so that they could understand that there is nobody in the gym as strong as me. Come here, let me preach to you about your situation. God is letting the situation get heavy on you because he wants you to understand that there is nobody in the gym of your life as strong as the God you serve. There is nobody greater than him. Nobody bigger than him. Nobody that can pull you out of trouble like him. He's letting it get heavy so that he can lift it up. And when you come out, you can say, could nobody do this? but God. He tells them now he said this sickness, God help me preach, is not unto death but for the glory of God and beloved you got to understand that the heaviness of your situation the weight of your tribulation the, 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 the vicissitudes that you're having to navigate in your life have nothing to do with you but they are all for God's glory. I know you thought he broke your heart because he was a dog. I know you thought they betrayed you because they were fake. I know that you thought your money was funny because you were a bad steward but God said no sometimes good things happen to people the bad things happen to people who God loves not for their guilt but for his glory oh God that means that as a believer your confession has to change you have to change your confession from it's happening to me to it's happening for me because when you're a believer nothing happens to you but all things Lord help me are working together for the good of them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. It is a synergistic reality. Not everything that happens to you feels good, but at the same time, not everything that happens to you feels bad. But God is so great that he takes his synergistic cooperative power and takes things that shouldn't go together, God help me, and makes them feel good to you. And even when they're not supposed to feel good to you and then he takes things that don't feel good to you and makes them work out good for you oh God can I tell you the difference between a cook God help me and somebody who just playing in the kitchen uh, a cook is able God help me somebody that's playing in the kitchen is able to find a recipe and follow it uh, and take all the ingredients that make sense you know uh, I can put some barbecue sauce on some meat that I ain't seasoned well and my kids will eat it and I'll put some hot sauce on some greens that I poured out the can and people will eat it. That's, that's somebody playing in the kitchen. But can I tell you the difference between a cook and somebody who's playing in the kitchen? A cook will take ingredients that ain't supposed to go together. Like when he's marinating some ribs, he'll take some vinegar and some applesauce and some cayenne pepper and some brown sugar and some molasses and some more seasoning and some seasoning salt and some pepper and some more sugar and he'll let the meat sit in it. And while you hear the ingredients, it don't sound like it should taste good. But when it comes out the fire it's delicious help me I want to preach to you now God said the ingredients of your life don't feel like they go together but that's because you playing in the kitchen I'm a master chef it doesn't look good but once it comes out of the fire God help me oh it'll be good for you James says count it all joy when you fall under various trials and tests 
understanding that the trying of your faith produces patience, that the trying of your faith is more precious than gold, even though it's refined in the fire. When it comes forth, God help me, it's going to taste good to you. It might look like God is playing with you. It might look like he's delaying on purpose, but how many of you know that delayed does not mean denied? That just because God takes his time, time is no consequence to God. God will give you your time back. Uh, he says he waited there two more days. Why did he do it? The Bible says that it was for his glory. Oh God, I want to help somebody now. You've been wondering why God lets good things happen to bad people. Oftentimes, as pastors, uh, beloved, we're asked to answer the question of theodicy. Theodicy. It's why God, who is good and has all power, if he is good and if he has all power, why does he allow bad things to happen? And I don't feel like there's one answer to that question, but I know one of the answers is sometimes he lets it happen for his glory. God, help me. You're wondering why some things died in your life. You're wondering Oh, why some things happened in your life. You're wondering why you've had to deal with some grief and some anxiety and some depression and some pain and some problem. God said he's doing it for his glory. Uh, so the Bible says that Jesus waits two days until he senses in his omniscience in his all-knowing godness that Lazarus is dead. When he says, when he senses that Lazarus is dead, he tells his disciples, all right, let's go back to Judea. And they say, Lord, wait a minute. They were just trying to kill you in Judea. And now you want to go back there again? And Jesus says, look, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Essentially what Jesus is saying, let me egersonize this for you. If I'm walking with God, I'm all right. If I got the light, I'm going to be good. God is going to protect me. But if God's not with me, it doesn't matter where I go. I'm going to be in danger. And he tells them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go so that I might awake him from sleep. <laughs> the, the, the disciples are tripping now. They're like, oh. Well, Lord, if you know he's taking a nap, then ain't no point in us putting our lives in danger if he's taking a nap. Let him sleep it off. And we can stay here where it's safe. Because I don't want to get stoned. I don't want to go back to Judea. So Jesus says to them plainly, Lazarus, is dead and he says I'm glad for your sake 
that I was not there so that you may believe. He's not talking. Now, check this out. This is what blows my mind. He's not talking to non-believers. He's talking to Christ followers. He's talking to people who have been walking with him. But notice, he says, I'm glad for your sake that I wasn't there because I want you to believe. Well, what do you want them to believe? The answer then, beloved, is in Mary and Martha's response to Jesus when he got there. Because they both declare that if Jesus had been there, Lazarus would have never died. Notice now, no one who was sick ever died in the presence of Jesus. At this point in John's gospel, Jesus has proven that he is Lord over demons and he's proved that he's Lord over disease. But John says, beloved, this I have written thee. When he closes out his gospel and gives the purpose for which he's written the book of John, John says, I've written these things that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so God has a level of power that at this point in the text, no one has tapped into. I, I got to set the stage for you theologically. Prophets have come before Jesus and casted out devils. Jesus sent his disciples out, Judas among them, to cast out devils and to heal from disease. So you don't have to be God, hear me, to heal from disease and death. All you have to do is believe. Well, pastor, uh, uh, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he already had resurrected uh, Jairus' daughter, and he had also uh, resurrected the son of the widow at Nain. Uh, well, you have to understand something. Jairus' daughter was not dead. She was comatose. Jesus said it when he got there. He says, oh, she is not dead. She is only asleep. The widow at Nain's son had just died. They were not carrying him uh, to his burial like we do weeks later. He died. He was pronounced dead and they were carrying him through the streets, mourning him. Jesus had not let enough time pass for the widow at Nain's son to be clearly dead. But what Jesus does with Lazarus is he purposely waits until Lazarus has been dead four days. Understand now the culture of the text. In this particular culture, in order for you to be truly dead, with no hopes of resurrection, God help me, you had to be dead at least three days. Jesus, I'm coming back to that next week, that three-day principle. You had to be dead for at least three days to be considered really dead. So Jesus waits an additional day so that when he gets there, 
Nobody can say, well, Lazarus had a little fever. He went into a coma. Lazarus fainted and hit his head. Uh, but really, when Jesus called him, the loud noise of Jesus' voice woke him up. He waited until Lazarus was dead because he needed his disciples to understand that there was something I have in me, God help me, that you don't have in you yet, God help me. There was something in me in John chapter 11 that you don't get until Acts chapter 2, God help me, that I am not just Lord over demons, I'm not just Lord over disease, but I am also Lord over the dead things, God help me. I am Lord over a dead situation. So the Bible says, that when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. And Martha ran to meet Jesus. Said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Martha gets a bad rap, beloved. Uh, Martha gets a bad rap because uh, Jesus came over to the house uh, and threw a house party. And uh, Mary decided that she was going to go out and worship Jesus. And Martha decided that she was going to stay in and cook and clean the dishes. And she was tripping on Mary because, Mary, you see all these guests and all these dishes and you out there worshiping. I, you need to be in here helping me. But can I tell you what I love about Martha? Martha is a, is a lot like a lot of us, but she has more faith than a lot of us. Because she says, Lord... If you had just showed up when I wanted you to. I wouldn't be dealing with this right now. And how many of you have ever said that to God? God, I know you got power. See, it's different when you don't really believe in God. Then when bad things happen, you can chalk it up to life and to karma and to all this other crazy stuff. But when you really believe that God is in control, have you ever talked to God and said, God, you could have stopped me. You could have kept this from happening to me. But can I tell you what I love about Martha? Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I, I wouldn't have had to absorb these funeral costs. I, I wouldn't have had to start a GoFundMe. I, I wouldn't be here mourning right now. I, I wouldn't be here wondering what was going to happen. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But... Even now, God help me. Oh, God, is there anybody here that can say, I got an even now praise. God help me. God help me. Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, it wouldn't have happened. But even now, I still believe that you're able to turn it around. And is there anybody here that showed up on a Sunday morning with the cares of the week on you, not knowing how you were going to make it, still dealing with a little bit of frustration and still dealing with a little bit of grief and still dealing with a little bit of worry and a little bit of anxiety but your testimony in the sanctuary is even now God help me oh God can I tell you what the even now principle of the text is the even now principle of the text declares that it's never too late for God to get involved in your situation Martha says even now Lord I know that God huh, will give you whatever you ask for and is there anybody here that believes that you're hurting but you know God can still do it God help me 
God can still do it. He can still turn it around. Lord, I'm looking at my marriage and declaring you can still do it. God, I'm looking at my finances and I'm declaring that you can still do it. God, I'm looking at my personal life and all of my toxic relationships and all of my bad habits and all of the things that I do that are not pleasing to your sight. But God, I believe that by your power you can still do it. I got to move. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, oh, Lord, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I got my theology straight. <laughs> I understand that there's a day coming when, when Gabriel is going to come and he's going to place one foot in the sea and the other in dry land and he's going to blow that trumpet with a gust of wind that comes from the heart of heaven and that the earth and sea will give up their dead. I understand that there's a day coming that the Greeks called the parousia, that grandma called that great getting up morning. I understand uh, that all that have fallen asleep in Jesus are coming back and will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the air. Martha's like, yeah, I understand that. I understand that there is a day coming in the future but Jesus said obviously you've been around me so long that you don't understand who I am you're waiting on a day that's coming I'm telling you that I am the day that is already here for I am the resurrection and the life and he that believeth in me will live even though he dies and that everyone who lives and believes in me if they don't see death uh, they will never die God help me he telling him that telling Martha you're waiting on something but if you are really a spirit as you claim to be you would understand that the thing that you're waiting on is right in front of you God help me see that's what religion will do to you religion will make you feel like you got to jump through hoops and wait on something that the presence of God will give you right now and that's why we try to push you in worship that's why we try to push you in praise because you're waiting on a sermon and waiting on a man to give you something from his mind that will bless you when God says if my presence is there I can touch every part of you God help me there are things that happen in worship that a sermon cannot give you there are prophetic moments that happen in the presence of God that my beautiful homiletical presentation cannot fix in your life but God says that when Jesus is present you got to understand that he is the resurrection God help me stop waiting on what religious folk are waiting on and get into the presence of Jesus and understand that when he's there he can fix it. That was for free. That wasn't even in my notes. Can I tell you what blows my mind about this discourse? <laughs> uh, Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he die, yet shall he live again. And everyone who believeth in me shall die not. He asks her a question. He says, do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord. And I have believed. I have believed. Understand the Greek grammar of the text. The English translation doesn't really do it justice. She says, I have believed. Literally what she's saying is that I believed and I am still believing that you are the Christ, the son of God. Check it out. Here it is. 
even he who comes into the world. Huh. Oh, God. Huh. Even he who comes into the world. Uh, Martha makes a declaration about God that we miss when we call on the names of God. We call him Jehovah Nisi, the God who is our banner. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our God who heals. Jehovah uh, Sidkenu, the God who fights our battles. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Uh, uh, but, but, but Martha gives God a unique name that you never see, uh, that you have not seen rather, until, uh, since the angel came and foretold the birth of Jesus. Uh, Gabriel tells Mary, and I'm almost finished, I got two minutes left, uh, that Jesus' name shall be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel, huh. which means with us. El, which is the covenant name of God. God with us, with us, God. But can I tell you, uh, I, I, the Greek blesses me. I love Hebrew. It's a beautiful language, but it's hard to read. But the Greek language is a lot like English when you figure it out. It blesses me. Emmanuel in the Greek is translated the God who steps in. God, help me. Uh, and what Martha says, she says, I believe that you are Christ, the son of God, even he who comes into the world. Martha is saying that you are not just a God that oversees my trouble from a distance, but you are the God who steps in. God, help me. Uh, you are an intruding, an intervening, a bogarting God that you don't just let me stay in trouble by myself. God, help me. But you are the God who steps in. God, help me. Oh, God, if you find Daniel, he'll tell you that there was a lion's den that he was in, and he met the God who stepped in. If you want to talk to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, you know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would tell you that in a fiery furnace, they encountered the God who steps in. And if you want to talk to your grandmother or your grandfather and ask them how they made it through, they said that he is a God who steps in. And Martha says, the reason why I love you is not just because you are the Christ but you are Emmanuel you are God with us you are the God that won't leave me by myself but when you see that I'm hurting and when I'm in trouble you'll step in uh, I heard uh, an old preacher uh, Dr. Ralph Douglas West he tell the story uh, about a little girl uh, who grew up and had had a baby with her husband and her father came to visit his first grandbaby. And, uh, you know, uh, us new parents, uh, we got all these things we try to try and we try to tell our parents about raising kids as if they've never done it before and stuff like that. So uh, just like us, uh, the girl's grand, the girl's daddy comes to visit to see his grandbaby. And she says, Daddy, uh, me and my husband are going to run to the store to get some stuff to cook dinner. Now, uh, the baby will cry when we leave. Uh, but I know you used to pick me up uh, 
out of the, out of the playpen when I cried. Uh, but don't do this because we want her to learn how to self-soothe. Uh, we don't want her uh, to feel like every time something happens, we're going to pick her up. So when she starts crying, daddy, you cannot get her out of that playpen. And so mom and daddy leave. The baby starts crying. Uh, grandpa, because he got a soft heart, he starts pacing back and forth. He reaches down, remembers what his daughter told him, says, I know the baby's crying, but my daughter told me not to get her out of the playpen. And the baby is screaming at the top of her lungs uh, for about 15 good minutes, 20 good minutes. Grandpa don't know what to do. Then he has an epiphany. Uh, he does what he sees in his mind. The daughter comes back and says, Daddy, uh, 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 Daddy, are you here? He says, yeah, I'm here. The baby's not crying. No, she's fine. She put the bags of groceries down on the kitchen table and said, I know my daddy ain't pick up that baby. Walks down the hall to the baby's room, looks in there, and she sees something that blows her mind. Her daddy has gotten into the playpen with the baby. And when he gets into the playpen with the baby, the baby stops crying. And she looks at her daddy and said, Daddy, what have you done? Uh, I told you that we were trying to teach her how to self-soothe. He said, yeah, and I wanted to be obedient to your process. You told me that I couldn't get her out of the playpen, but you didn't say that I couldn't hop in the playpen with her. Come here, let me preach to you. You've been wondering, God, God, help me. When God was going to lift you up out of the playpen of your life, God said, I'm not here to get you out of the trouble, but I am Emmanuel. I'm the God who steps. Is there anybody here who knows him to be the God that steps in? You thought you were on that job by yourself with those heathens, but he's the God that steps in. You thought that you were in a marriage by yourself, but he's the God that steps in. You thought that you were a single parent doing it all by yourself like an independent woman, but the truth is he's the God who steps in. So then... I got to quit. Uh, oh, there's so much text here. I got more text than I got sermon. It's, it's so much in the passage. Uh, uh, oh, God, I wish I had time. But she says, I believe. <laughs> Notice now how the roles are reversed. The last time Jesus comes to see Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, it's Mary that comes to meet Jesus and Martha who's in the house. Martha said, I learned my lesson. When Jesus shows up, I ain't going to be in the house. But the one who was a worshiper when she faces disappointment is now in the house weeping instead of out in front of the master worshiping. And you got to understand that you can't allow situations to determine your worship. The same posture you had when God was blessing. God, help me. You got to maintain the same posture when things go bad. See, sometimes God allows things to happen in your life because he's trying to see if you can be trusted with trouble. Some of y'all, God, help me. Some of y'all know New Edition. It says, sunny days, everybody loves them, but tell me, can you stand the rain? And we need some can you stand the rain, saints. Some saint that said my praise is not determined by what it looks like but it's determined by the God who is worthy of all my prayer uh, she goes to get Mary out the house says look he's calling for you he's calling for you she doesn't show up uh, she shows up after she's called she says the same thing uh, I, I'm almost finished, y'all, I promise. Uh, she says, uh, Lord, same thing Martha says, if you had been here, 
my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says to her something that sums up the greatest words in human history. Words that crystallize the compassion of our Christ. Words that prove to us that Jesus is concerned about the problems that we have. That he is not so big that he is not touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But Hebrews 10 says we have a high priest who has been touched with the feelings of all our infirmities. The Bible says, show me where you laid him. And I think that's a question. That's, 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 that's an invitation that Jesus is giving to each and every one of us. Where you got a dream that's died. You, you've got a situation that died. you got hopes and plans that have died. And Jesus is saying, show me. Where you laid them? Where did you lay down your dreams? Where did you lay down your faith that I could give you a better life? Where did you lay down the possibilities for your life and the hopes for your children and the hopes that your parents' relationship would be put back together? Where did you lay it down? Where did you put it? Show me where you laid it. The Bible says that they took him there. And when he got there, Jesus wept. Now, I've heard a lot of theologians try to explain away the weeping of Jesus. Because sometimes we overemphasize his deity and forget his humanity. That Jesus was the God man. That he was fully God. One, he wasn't 50% God and 50% man. You know, like if, if you got uh, one nationality parent and the parent of another nationality, you're 50% this and 50% that and a quarter of this. No, Jesus had the fullness of divinity. Colossians 1 says, for in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That within Jesus, that's where my apostolic brethren get it from, that within Jesus dwells the fullness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost in bodily form. That he has all of God, but at the same time, he's got all of man. God help me. That, that, that he's got all of humanity and all of divinity. And that it exists in what theologians call hypostasis or the hypostatic union. Meaning that God, that Jesus' Godhood did not wipe out his uh, humanity and that his humanity did not contaminate his divinity. That he existed as fully God and fully man at the same time. So while God says, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus of Nazareth weeps because his friend is dead. And his sisters are hurting. And he's waited two more days. And they're probably feeling like I don't care about them. Probably feeling like I'm being nonchalant. And I know that they're telling the truth. If, if I had been here, I wouldn't even let them get sick because he's my people. Jesus wept. And even the people around him said, see how he loved him. We don't even see record of Jesus shedding tears on the cross. 
The Bible says he cried out with a loud voice, but that's not weeping. Even in the pain of crucifixion, Jesus took it like a man. But when his homie died, God help me. And he's at the cemetery looking at his best friend. Jesus teaches us that there is an appropriate place for our grief. That if Jesus can cry, it's all right for you to cry. If Jesus can weep, God help me, then it's okay for you to weep. But Jesus does not stay weeping. When Jesus gets done weeping, the God in him raises up. And he looks at the tomb. God help me. And he tells them, roll the stone away. Now look, here's Martha. She's the oldest sibling. She's the most responsible. She's the one that feels like she has to remind Jesus. Jesus, he's been dead for four days. The situation now is stinking. God help me. Uh, uh, he's not dead for play play. He's dead dead. God help me. Uh, there is a stench now. But how many of you understand that Jesus is not concerned with the smell of your situation? Jesus is not concerned. God, help me. See, people are concerned about the stench. God, help me. People are concerned about the smell. People are concerned about what it looks like and what it feels like and what people had to say. People are concerned about that. But Jesus said, did not tell you that if you believe, God, help me, you would see the glory of God. The Bible says that Jesus removed the stone. God help me. And raised his eyes. And said, Father, I thank you that you've already heard me. That's past tense. And he says, I know. I've been knowing. He says, I knew. I've been knowing that you always hear me. But for the sake of the people standing around. So that they may believe that you sent me. Let me pause there. I know we ain't got a problem with it in this house, but just in case you've ever gone to a church that believe that believes that the miraculous gifts of the spirit have ceased. Right. That 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 what they call the sign gifts are no longer evident in the church. Jesus clearly states that signs and wonders are not for people inside of the church, but therefore people outside of the church so that they can believe that we are sent from God. So the reason why I still speak in tongues, the reason why I still prophesy, the reason why I still lay hands, the reason why I still believe that you can lay hands on the sick and watch them recover, the reason why I believe that the gifts are still in operation in the church is so that they might believe that you sent me. And when he said all of these things, the Bible says that he cried out with a loud voice. Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says, the man who had died came forth. That when Jesus called him, he got up from where he was. That when Jesus said, come forth, Nothing that was holding him could prevent him from getting up 
and coming to the one who had called him. That Lazarus was called from death to life. Now let me help you. That's a part of the miracle. But what the text teaches us is that even though Lazarus was alive, the Bible says that he came forth bound. God help me. Uh, that new life is not the end of your process. That God just don't want you to be raised from death to life. He wants you to be free. God help me. And see, the reason why many of us are stunted in our spiritual growth is because we feel like salvation is enough. But God doesn't just want you saved. He wants you free. God help me. God wants you to be delivered. And the Bible says that after he was raised from the dead, Jesus gives another command, but he doesn't give a command by way of the Holy Spirit. He tells the people to loose him and to let him go. Let me give a message to the church now. It is God's job to call dead sinners from death to life. But it is the job of the church to walk them through the process of deliverance. God help me. Jesus raised Lazarus, but it was the responsibility of those around to make sure that he got free. Let me help you. You might not be a minister. You might not be a prophet. You might not feel like you're spiritually gifted. But when people get saved, it's not just your job to clap your hands, but it's your job to link arms with them and make sure that they get free free from whatever they're in you're not here just to consume but you're here to be a producer who have you helped get free there is somebody that needs your testimony and Jesus says that after I call it forth you got to be willing to get involved in the process of God and loose them and let them go huh. he says unbind them unbind them from depression unbind them from anxiety unbind them through small groups, unbind them through Bible study, unbind them by getting them activated in service in the local church, unbind them by giving them Christian community that won't judge them every time they make a mistake, unbind them by being a sister first instead of telling them what to wear first, unbind them by loving them before you try to give correction, unbind them by feeding them and meeting their need before you tell them not to take that, not to wear that hat into the sanctuary, unbind them. And then let them go. Release them. Back into the mission field. Whatever it is. Uh, I feel like preaching. Uh, uh, whatever it is. That it is. No matter how dead it's been. No matter how long it's been buried. When Jesus speaks, it will come forth. Preacher, I know that's all well and good. I've heard the story of Lazarus before. I know that Jesus did that, and I believe that he did it. But how can I believe that my situation will come forth? How can I honestly believe that after all the arguments me and my wife have had, after all the stuff I've said to my children, after 
all the ways I've messed up my credit and after all the ways I've, I, I've messed up at this job and they got me boxed into this position and they tell me I'm lucky to even have a job. Uh, how, how, how can I believe that it will come forth? I'm very glad you asked me that. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Hear what it says. It says, if you want to know how you can believe that it will come forth. Think about this. When you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, Christ made you alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our transgressions. The reason why you can believe that God can bring dead things back to life is because you are the proof that God can raise the dead. God help me. Oh God, let, let me help you. I, I got to make sure you catch this. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer, if you have been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you don't just uh, read the Lazarus story, but you are Lazarus. God help me. God help me. I don't know who's in the building today, but is there anybody here that remembers what it was like to be dead in trespasses and sin, to, to be so dead? to be so gone that you don't even care you didn't care who you offended you didn't care who you cussed out you didn't care who you slept with you didn't care how you spent your money you didn't care who you went off on you didn't care who your attitude affected you didn't care if you came to church or not because you were dead you were dead in sin mama fussing couldn't make you come back to life those guilt trips that people threw at you couldn't make you come back to life some of y'all was drunks alcohol poisoning after the club couldn't make you come back to life because you were dead in sin but the Bible says uh, that Jesus found you after the club uh, after a one night stand when you were in your sin dead and in trespasses and he looked at you uh, and said not Lazarus but Joshua uh, Maya, uh, Tiffany uh, come forth uh, he says come forth God help me look at somebody uh, and say I am Lazarus God help me I don't know who you're preaching to, but look at somebody else and tell them I am Lazarus. God, help me. I'm trying not to shout because somebody needs to understand that the reason why I can believe it is because he did it for me. God, help me. You are Lazarus and he called you forth. So if God, help me here, can call you out of sin, then how dare you not believe that God can call your situation from death to life. God, help me. Who am I preaching to? In the building, God said there's no situation that's too hard for me. I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe it, it's got to get up again.